You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And join me this episode is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will spring games over with uh, ESPN releases uh, college football predictor uh, Mullen can't seem to not stop trolling Georgia, which is welcome uh, in my mind. Uh, it's some NFL draft talk, so kind of a kind of, kind of busy, even though uh, spring's over with. It's a smorgasbord tonight, Dave. It's a smorgasbord. And, you know, unfortunately, I can't talk Game of Thrones with you because I'm not really into that show. But anybody who wants any of that sort of chatter can go check you out on Twitter. And uh, you just got to make sure you put spoiler alert in some of those things if you're uh, if you're going to go a little bit too far. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, man, I, I've missed the window, but I probably should have started a Game of Thrones podcast the same time I started this one. So. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I it, it would be. Uh, It'd be embarrassing if that got more listens than us. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, it's obviously a popular show. Everybody's into it. Just not something I've had an opportunity to do yet. You know, the uh, the three kids keep me busy and away from those sorts of uh, those sorts of endeavors. So uh, I'm sure I'll get into it at some point along the way. And, you know, three years from now, I'll be able to talk to you about it. Okay, yeah. In, in about four weeks, the very last show of it will air. So you got four weeks to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is I got lots of vacations. So I'll have to do it. <laughs> All right, that's it for Game of Thrones talk. Though not everybody's into it, will but uh, you know, it's uh, that's my show. That's my show. But this is Gators Talk right here on Gators Breakdown. Before we get into it, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on News4Jacks.com/slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack Sports team. Uh, you can check me out there this week. Uh, I was uh, on the Mark Brunel show talking. Uh, Gators that the Jaguars could target in this year's NFL draft. So a lot of uh, a lot of draft talk coming up there uh, on News for Jacks. Uh, but also catch Gators Breakdown podcast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Spotify. And when using those services, please share, rate, review the show, subscribe. Please subscribe out there uh, if you like Gators Breakdown. And on social media, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So Will also uh, you know caught the uh, Gator Nation's attention last week as ESPN releases their college football playoff predictor using their football power index, their FPI, and uh, it did. It caught the uh, eye of Gator Nation that Florida has a 10% chance of making the college football playoff, according to that, and that ranks ninth uh, in the country using that metric. So, Will, you know, Florida has come a long way in just a year to be even in the conversation for a college football playoff berth, uh, and it's deserved given the circumstances here. Yeah, well, I mean, you can see the logic. So if you win the SEC – you make the playoff. 
usually if you finish second in the SEC, as long as you haven't lost to LSU um, on the road, you you get to uh, you, you get to go to the playoff as well. So you know, and if if you do that, then you get to whine about it all offseason that you didn't get put in the playoff. But you know, I so a ten percent chance. I think that seems about right. Florida was you know in the mid thirties in terms of yards per play on both offense and defense last year. Um, you know, if one of those units turns into an elite unit, then you can see a team that's going to have the ability to go out and compete, compete on a weekly basis. So if you think Felipe Franks is going to take a real major step forward and become, you know, uh, the equivalent of maybe a Jake Fromm, or if you think the defense is going to take a step forward because of all the guys in the defensive backfield, then you can envision a scenario where Florida can do that. And I, I think probably 10% is about right. I mean, you still have to go through Georgia, still have to go through Florida State, still have to go through LSU. And if you do all that, and Auburn this year, Auburn and Miami this year, and if you do all that, you still got to face Miami or somebody else who's beaten, or I'm sorry, you still got to face Alabama or somebody who's beaten Alabama then in the SEC championship game. So, um, 10% is uh, you know, 10% is relatively high for that sort of gauntlet. But again, when you run that gauntlet, you're going to make the playoffs. It's not like the Pac-12 or the Big Ten where maybe you win that conference and still don't get in. The SEC's got an amount of respect that if you win that conference, you're getting in. And so that's sort of what that number reflects. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is when you're looking at how ESPN's putting this together. Of course, you know, it is determined by your team. And who you play. I mean, but much like you said there. And uh, you know, that that's what plays into determining your chances in making the college football playoff, uh, using uh ESPN's metrics here. So, you know, this is where Will, as you mentioned, playing in the SEC and, and the schedule that Florida has, you know, affects their chances compared to other teams and, and other teams and other conferences that have an easier path, like you said. So you know, ESPN came to this conclusion by using their, their football power index and a quick explainer about that. If, if you guys are not familiar with the FPI out there, now as a measure of team strength, that is meant to be the best predictor of a team's performance going forward for the rest of the season. So of course it's uh preseason uh, right now. So the FBI, FBI represents how many points, Above or below average a team is, projected results are based on 10,000 simulations of the rest of the season using FPI results to date and the remaining schedule. So, Will ESPN released their initial FPI rankings a few weeks ago, and that's how they determined the chances Florida has to make the college football playoff. And Florida came in ranked eighth in the initial 2019 FPI, but remember ninth in the college football playoff predictor. So, the FBI says Florida has the 25th best offense and the fourth best defense coming back for 2019. So now you may ask yourself, you know, why the FBI has Florida ranked eight, but the playoff predictor dropped them one spot. Well, you know, it's because they value the toughness of a Florida schedule. The FBI has Florida schedule as the third hardest schedule in college football. So that's for, for the, for the Gators opponents in the FBI, Georgia's ranked third, LSU is fourth, Auburn ninth, Tennessee 15th, South Carolina 19th, Missouri 20th, Florida State 22nd. So that is seven of Florida's 12 opponents that rank in the top 25 of ESPN's FPI and why they rank Florida's schedule so tough. Uh, you know, that doesn't include Miami and Kentucky, who are probably close to the 30 40 range. Oh, and if you make it to Atlanta, like you said, you get to play Alabama <laughs> or another team uh, that's up there too. But Alabama, is two in the FBI, or maybe even to take this A&M, who was 11th in the FBI. Will, we've said it before, it's just harder in the SEC and why you must be a pretty deep team. 
And well, you know, those those teams you listed off and their number in the FPI for the most part is pretty remarkably close to recruiting rankings. You know, South Carolina is usually 20 to 25. Tennessee is usually 12 to 15. Um, Florida over the last couple of years has averaged, I think, like 11th. Um, you know, Alabama's always number one when it comes to recruiting. So certainly I think Clemson's probably rated above them. But so, you know, the talent level has a lot to do with it. But then also the coach's ability to develop that talent has something to do with it as well, which is why, which is why Clemson's as high as they are. Um, I did – I was curious, so I went and looked back at all the playoff teams since 2014 and what they did the year before. And the thing that I found that seems to correlate pretty decently is 19 of the 20 teams were top 25 in either offensive yards per play or defensive yards per play the year before they then advanced to the playoff. So one of those units has to really be up there. And and that's an area where I'd be a little bit concerned about Florida just from a playoff potential because Florida was not in the top 25 in either category. Florida was 37th in defensive yards per play. 32nd in offensive yards per play. So they don't have to improve a ton in either one of those, but they have to improve in each of them. And basically, I think what this is really saying is if you have an elite defense, you can get away with a few things on offense. If you have an elite offense, you can get away with a few things on defense. If they're just both very good, none of those teams or very few of those teams have really made the playoff. And so I think those are sort of the metrics that you want to look at when you say who's going to make the playoffs. And so when I look at the FPI or I look at what ESPN ranked as the teams that are potentially going to make it, you know, Michigan had the fourth ranked defense last year and the 31st ranked offense. So you can understand why they maybe got selected up there in terms of their percentage for the playoff. And also the fact that Ohio State's probably going to take a step back without Urban Meyer. And then also that, uh, that you know, in the Big Ten, who else do you really have to beat yeah. if, you, if you beat them? Now, they have LSU at 32%, and that's interesting because they were 24th in defensive yards per play, but 83rd in offensive yards per play. So even though the quarterback play between Burrow and Franks was essentially equal, the running game at Florida was considerably better than it was at LSU last year. And they were kind of fortunate to, to end up with the record that they wound up with um, versus, you know, there's going to have to be a marked improvement on the on the offensive side of the ball for them to be able to pull that off. And then the other team I think you can look at and maybe say is a little bit underrated is Miami. So they were third in defense and they were 84th in offense. And so again, if they if they maintain their defensive ability and see a mar- and see a, you know, maybe up into the 35 to 40 on the offense, that's a team that potentially might be able to sneak in there, especially if they can start out the year with a win against Florida. That, that's really a feather in their cap obviously if they can pull that off. So, um, anyway, I thought that was interesting that when I went back and looked at it that, you know, that that 19 of the 20 playoff teams thus far have have been top 25 in one category. In fact, 13 of the 20 have been top 10 in one category the year prior and so you know i think there's a lot of carryover obviously because alabama and clemson have been in the playoff just about every year since since it started but even some of those teams that uh, that you don't necessarily think of i mean you know oklahoma has had just lights out offenses every year and so that offense has always been top 10 when the defense plays a little bit better or the pac-12 is a little bit down or i'm sorry the big 12 is a little bit down they're able to make it in so um those are the types of things i'd really be looking for i, I think lsu is probably a little bit overrated actually significantly overrated in this uh in this potential analysis again unless burrow takes a real step forward and then i think miami maybe is a little bit underrated yeah, so going to this, uh, what uh, ESPN threw out there and, and how they rate their teams and why it's difficult you know, for a team like Florida, 
um, compared to, you know, as good as you think Florida is, and you want to compare it to, like you said, Michigan, who seems to have an easier path. Uh, I don't get the LSU love either, but here it is, you know, the SEC, and quote from the, the article here, the SEC plays 10 teams in FPI's preseason top 20. So let that sink in for a minute. The SEC has three of the top five teams in the country, five of the top 10, and half of the top 20. The 10th best SEC team, Missouri, is better than the second best ACC team, Florida State, and the second best Big 12 team, Texas. I have to get to that because the FBI does not like Texas whatsoever. whatsoever. So it says uh, the best division in football is the SEC West. The second best division is the SEC East. So, Will, you're looking at it uh, in, in one way there and looking at how difficult it is to go through the SEC and the list there, you know, three of the top five teams in ESPN's FPI, five of the top ten and half of the top 20. Now, look, I'm not throwing shade at Clemson here. They, they, they have proven enough to be called elite. They are elite, one of the nation's best teams. You know, but their chances to make the college football playoff are staggering 80 and a large part of that is because they play in the in the ACC. And now, to their credit, they play Texas A&M, and they play South Carolina at a conference this season. But the only team in the ACC that's ranked in the FPI, and somehow is FSU, who's ranked 22nd in the FPI, Florida has seven opponents ranked in the FPI. Clemson only has three, and two of those are from the SEC. So, quote from the article here, you know, the ACC is thin on upper-tier teams. In fact, after Clemson, it's basically nothing. Clemson is more than 17 points per game better than every other team in the ACC. Yeah, well, I mean, this is something that you can see when you look at the recruiting rankings again. <laughs> Clemson's always up there in the top 10, and then you've got Notre Dame, who's not really an ACC member, but is sort of there lurking in the 10 to 12 range. And then and Florida State's been up there, but obviously they're going through some stuff with the transition to Jimbo from Jimbo to Taggart. And then there's nobody else until you get to like 22nd or 23rd or 24th. And, and it's sort of the same thing when you look at the ability of those teams out on the field. I mean, Virginia Tech has struggled a little bit over the last couple of years. Virginia's not any good. Um, you know, <laughs> Syracuse, I guess, is a little bit better. But I mean, you know, we're, we're not really talking about perennial powers in the ACC. The ACC is a basketball conference. So, um, and that doesn't mean Clemson isn't the best team or wasn't the best team last year. It means it's hard to gauge during the season whether they truly have an elite squad or whether they've just been able to run roughshod over a a series of teams that are more, you know, that if we were ranking if we were ranking teams based on performance would be ranked in the 50s to 60s as opposed to the SEC where you're playing, you know, top 25 teams pretty much every week. And, you know, but hey, that's why it's fun, right? I mean, yep. I, I don't, I don't want to see Florida play Syracuse and UConn and, you know, teams like that. I like seeing them play LSU and Georgia. And, and even Vanderbilt. I mean, you know, those aren't necessarily cakewalks. They still take a toll. That's why depth's so important. But, you know, if you, like I said, if you win the SEC, you're playing for a national championship. And, and that's great. I wouldn't want to be in the Pac-12 where I had to worry about, you know, did Stanford win today? Because that's going to impact my ability to play for a title. It's like, no, I like the idea that if you go through the gauntlet in the SEC, you have bragging rights, and and if you win the SEC, you've got, you're always going to have an opportunity to play the net, play for the national championship. So um, it makes it fun for the fans. I think it makes it fun for the players. Certainly, um, if I were somebody who was being recruited, that's where I'd want to be. So uh, you know, it'll make for a good schedule next year. Yeah, yeah, and I would I want to take a look at two teams uh, right here. 
You look at South Carolina, who probably has one of the hardest schedules I've ever seen in college football this year. Where they <laughs> they play Clemson, they play Alabama, they play Georgia, they play the top top three teams <laughs> right there, and they play Florida, who is another top ten team, and then they play Texas A and M, who's a, will be a top fifteen ish team uh, uh, around that. You know that is the hardest schedule I think I've ever seen a college football team has to face. Well, that's the way it looks right now. Will it turn out that way? I don't know. But on the surface, you know, South Carolina has uh, the toughest schedule I think I've ever seen in college football. And Will, I don't want mean to pick on your Virginia Tech cookies here, but you know we're talking ACC, SEC right here, and then Virginia Tech open up. Okay, Boston College, then Old Dominion, Furman, Duke. Miami, Rhode Island, North Carolina, Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Pitt, Virginia. Hey, Rhode Island, that's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a tough one. I, hey, I hey, Old, Old Dominion did beat them last year. <laughs> uh, you can pick on them because the schedule's pretty horrid. I mean, you know, it, it's the, the reality is, is they should be at six wins pretty easily next year and probably closer to nine or ten. And, you know, I think I think these things run in cycles, but clearly yeah. the Southeast is is the hotbed for college football and has been for a really long time. And you know, Clemson's been able to take advantage of that, but some of the other teams in the ACC that are down there have not. Um, you know, Florida State had a run maybe four or five years ago, and, and that seems to be over. And Miami had a run maybe a decade ago, and that seems to be. Uh, we'll see what Diaz can do down there, but but certainly I think Alabama and Clemson and Georgia to some extent have really started to come in and poach some of the talent from some of those ACC teams and 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 really hoarding it. And you can see that when you look at the recruiting rankings and and how. Um, you know, Georgia and Alabama and Clemson and, and even Texas A&M now are are taking a large share of the elite talent um, from all over the country. And so, you know, as, as the SEC is getting stronger and stronger and stronger, that separation between the conferences is becoming bigger and bigger. And you can see it in the, in the number of guys who are drafted and that sort of stuff. I mean, even lower tier SEC teams have five or six guys drafted every year. You can't say that about Boston College. So, um you know, it, it is what it is. The schedule is going to be difficult, and you can either complain about it or you can enjoy it. And I'm, I'm going to choose to enjoy it because it, it means it's going to be fun every week. Yeah, and so I'll, I'll admit here, I don't know if Florida really has the third toughest schedule according to the FBI. They, the FPI, they do. Um, like you, I think they are inflating LSU a bit uh, at four, Auburn at nine, Tennessee at fifteen. Really, I mean. <laughs> in no metric is Tennessee the 15th best team in the country. Sorry, no, it's just not. So, uh, heck, I wouldn't have FSU at 22 either from what we saw from them uh, last season. So, you know, while this is a, a good discussion piece, uh, it can be viewed one way that has Florida with a very tough schedule. It is a tough schedule. I, I, it is, but I don't think it's the third toughest because of where they place LSU at four, Auburn at nine, Tennessee at 15. Uh, you know, I'm not totally sure it's as difficult as the FPI makes it out to be. I drop LSU a couple spots. Auburn isn't a top 10 team. Tennessee FSU shouldn't be, you know, necessarily shouldn't be ranked here. Uh, Texas is, you know, 26 uh, in the rankings. And I think it's pretty crazy to think about that they're not much better in the, in the FPI. I think they are better than that. You know, this is where, this is one point where I think formulas for this type of stuff can be way off. Uh, Texas, you know, they, they only do they do only return eight starters. I know they weigh heavily. Uh, the FPI weighs heavily in this, but I, I'll give Tom Herman the benefit of the doubt here. I find it pretty ridiculous that there are teams like Oregon and especially Tennessee ranked pretty high in these rankings, and then you have Texas not in the FPI top twenty-five. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I would have thought the same thing, but when I look, Texas ranked 55th in defensive yards per play and 74th in offensive yards per play. So they were basically middle of the pack. And so that that's really why it's surprising that they were able to whip Georgia as much as they were, just because, you know, going into that game, you're sitting there saying, well, Georgia is a much, much better team based on everything we've seen. They play in a harder conference. This shouldn't, you know, unless they go out and lay an egg just because they don't want to be there, they, they shouldn't necessarily lose this game. It's a little bit surprising that that win against Georgia Georgia didn't give Texas a bigger bump in this FPI. But, you know, that whenever there's a large amount of changeover, whenever there's not a lot of returning starters, that experience makes a difference. And, and you know, I think we saw that last year with Florida. There were some guys who hadn't necessarily um, – blossomed into into stars yet but Mullen at least had guys who'd been on the field and and you know they don't necessarily have this year this this next year and I think Texas is the same way I I was very bullish on Texas last year and and I'm in a good way though right yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but I but I also thought that Oklahoma was going to take a major step back because I thought Baker Mayfield was transcendent and Kyler Murray was, you know, <laughs> even if he was very good, he wasn't yeah. going to be Baker Mayfield. And it turned out he was better than Baker Mayfield last year. So, um, you know, that's, see, that's what we could have had if Cam Newton had never thrown the laptop out the window. Oh, man. Well, you know, we'd still have Urban Meyer at that point. (laughs) Saban would have never taken over. But So, I mean, you're right. I think from the standpoint of formulas, you do the best you can to look at what's happened in the past and try to predict things. But it it becomes relatively difficult um, to to sort of parse together those last two playoff spots along with sort of the rest of the top ten. I mean, the initial top ten that's going to come out this year won't look anything like the final top ten. Um, and and you saw that last year. Usually, there's four or five teams that drop out or or end up at the top. I don't think anybody had Florida in the top ten last year. I think a lot of people maybe had Michigan higher than that. Certainly had Michigan higher than Florida at the start of the year. And and Mullen was able to prove everybody wrong. So I think we'll see a little bit of that this year. But as far as the playoff is concerned, it's pretty much Alabama, Clemson, and then whoever else, whoever yeah. else, whoever else can sneak in there. And uh, I, mean, I think you have to throw, I hate to say it, of course, you know, and we'll get to Georgia in just a second, but I mean, you have to throw them in there just because of the last two years. Uh, you know, they did reach the playoff one year and the national championship game were a an SEC championship win away last year from, from doing it again. So, you know, for what they have returning in from that offensive line, uh, I know they lose some key playmakers on the offensive side of the ball, but I still think you have to throw those in there. And I don't want to discount LSU too much. Uh, I think they're a top 10 team. No way are they the fourth best team. I don't, I don't think as the FBI has them now, uh, eight offense, seven defense returning there, but you do lose Greedy Williams and Devin White. Uh, I do know they are trying to change the offense a little bit by bringing in a, a Saints um, uh, assistant, Joe Brady there. So you know, LSU is going to try and change some things uh, along the way, but I think Burrow may get a little too much credit. You know, seeing you know, I've seen a lot of quarterback rankings uh, in the last couple weeks or whatever, and, and Burrow is all, always a high of Franks, and that's always going to be uh, a comparison that, that you know, Florida fans and LSU fans go about. I think they're you know, pr- pretty close to equal, but you go back and look at how last season played out and Florida beating LSU and LSU beating Georgia and then Florida you know, and Georgia having a fourth quarter game till, till Georgia pulls away. You know, those three teams there are, are going to be ranked in the top ten clearly a step behind Alabama, but those three are going to be fighting for that second spot. 
Yeah, well, and you've always got a percentage chance that they're able to knock off somebody, right? So so let's say Alabama, um, for some reason, too, has got an injury coming into that game against LSU, or LSU is able to knock him out of the game. Well, Jalen Hurts isn't there anymore. And so, you know, there's – <laughs> So, you know, maybe the, maybe the percentage is 20% that LSU beats Alabama. But that still means that two out of ten times they're going to beat Alabama. And if this happens to be the year they do that, then all of a sudden, you know, who do they have at home? Who's on the schedule? Can Burrow take a step forward? Um, you know, Burrow and Franks had very, very, very similar numbers last year. Franks ran the ball a little bit more. Burrow threw for a little bit larger, a little bit more, a little, a few more yards, and also a better yards per attempt. Um, but it was Burrow's first full year starting, and it was Frank's second year starting. And so, you know, I think maybe people who are who are um, high on Burrow expect that there to be a, a jump similar to what we saw with Frank's last year for Burrow in year two, and all of a sudden he's up in that Jake Fromm range. And again, if that happens, then the LSU offense is going to be pretty good. The problem is the defense wasn't necessarily lights out. It was good, but it was not, you know, it wasn't any better than Florida's. Um, and so, you know, both of those units are going to have to improve for them to see that. Whereas if you look at a team like a team like Alabama, you know, they were 21st in defensive yards per play, second in offense. So if their defense takes a step forward, all of a sudden they're a transcendent team. They're not just a team that can win the championship. They're a team that can be considered one of the best of all time. And does Clemson's defense take a step back because you've got some of those guys who that who are going to leave for the NFL? You've got Renfro who finally used up his ten years of eligibility. <laughs> Clemson at wide receiver, you know, so not having that third down guy who can get to the critical first downs. I mean, it's not as if they didn't almost lose last year in the game that that Lawrence went out against. What was it, NC State? Uh, Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse, yeah. So you know, it's not as if they didn't almost lose last year. So they are beatable. And and Texas A and M had a really good chance to. Yeah. So, but Kelly Bryant was still playing at that point. Yeah, good point. Yeah, but you know, I mean, so it's not as if they're unbeatable, but they looked unbeatable, obviously, in that game against Alabama. So, um, yeah, I, I think when I really look at this, I say I think LSU is is pretty overrated based on what I saw last year, um, unless a major step forward happens from Burrow. I think Notre Dame is another team that the loss that they had in the playoff is probably going to impact voters' perceptions, but. But Notre Dame had a really had a really good defense last year, and the offense was ranked 39th. So it wasn't. And and, and dare we say it? They played Clemson tougher than Alabama did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and and then you look at somebody like Penn State, who had the 10th ranked defense and the 34th ranked offense. So Trace McSorley obviously is leaving, but. Um, a lot of times you see large jumps in offense when you bring in a quarterback. So I don't know who James Franklin has behind McSorley. And and if that guy can come in and make that offense take a step forward, then Penn State really looks like a contender in the Big Ten. And as we already said with Michigan, you know, the Big Ten is not exactly a murderer's row either, <laughs> just like the ACC isn't. And, and so Penn State might be able to sneak in there too. I think teams like Auburn, it's going to be a real – it's, it's going to be really difficult for them to do it. They were 38th on defense, 78th on offense. Um, Ohio State was 64th on defense. So that's going to be, you know, they're going to have to make some pretty decent progression there. Um, a team like Washington might be able to slip in. They were 15th on defense and 56th on offense. Um, you mentioned Texas A&M. They were 62nd on defense and 38th on offense. So I don't necessarily see them them creeping in. Mississippi State actually had the first-ranked defense last year mm-hmm. when it comes to yards per play. But again, that entire defensive line is, is, is pretty much <laughs> gone so um and and i think fitzgerald's gone right yep 
Yeah, so they were losing their quarterback, and they're losing a large chunk of the guys who played on defense. So, uh, you know, I I think ESPN has them at like a one percent shot at making the playoffs, but I, I would be very very surprised to see that. So, I mean, I think I think it's the same story every year, right? You got some blue chip programs, and those blue chip programs dominate, and especially dominate the preseason rankings. The nice part is is that Florida is incorporate is is now perceived as one of those teams that can, with a little bit of luck, find its way in. And, and I think that's right. I mean, if everything goes right, if nobody gets injured, if the offensive line gels, if Franks plays well, and if the defensive line can get pressure from Zuniga and sort of replace Polite and Voshan Joseph and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson with some of the guys who step in, well, yeah, Florida certainly has a shot. Um, but yeah, again, I, well, go ahead. Yeah, and going to that point, I don't want to try and connect too many dots here. And this is just, you know, it just came to mind. It, Kind of reminiscent of Myers' first year to his second year and Mullen's first year to his second year. Not You notice the team getting better, but you don't necessarily see him putting it together in the second year. And I don't I don't want to sit here and compare and say, oh, Mullen, if Myers did it his second year, Mullen's going to be able to do it too. You have, you have a quarterback who's going to be in this second year in the system who played under the previous regime. You have a lot of returning starters on defense you have playmakers at, at wide receiver you know there are some similarities there uh there but i, I still think that uh the schedule probably is a little bit tougher uh this year than what they were playing back then and uh you had some stockpiling of talent that the previous coach did for urban meyer not necessarily what jim McElwain left for dan Bowen. <laughs> yeah well and i mean you also that 2006 team had percy harbin percy yeah. harbin and tim tebow come in um you know i i think that the supplement the the supplementary guys who came in i mean harford was started right away but but you know the guys who came in and even just played roles on that 2006 team um you know the question is going to be are there guys from this from this 2019 recruiting class who are going to be able to do that now you know it might not be as visible because those guys are probably going to be on the offensive line right i mean if you bring in a true freshman and if you had to bet on a true freshman playing somewhere i think we would say probably offensive line is where we'd expect it to happen or maybe diabate on the defensive line but um you know somebody's going to play major minutes and be a starter i think you probably figure offensive line it'll be harder to see that um so we'll know right away obviously if they've got a true freshman there on the offensive <laughs> line the offensive line's playing well um yeah i mean i think it's a stretch to just say hey it's year two it's happened before right. too. Yeah. um I, you know i'm not expecting florida to make the playoff this year but the fact that they are being perceived as a team that can make the playoff can only help in the recruiting things that we talk about all the time and can only help when it comes to having the respect initially in the season to where maybe you can have a hiccup and still make your way in as opposed to a team like UCF that can't have any sort of hiccups because they don't have the respect that's necessary to be able to have a hiccup. And they also don't have the schedule that's necessary to be able to have a hiccup and still make it in. Florida's going to be able to do that. They can, they can probably absorb a loss. I mean, it depends on the quality of the loss, but they could probably absorb a loss um, and still make it in. Yeah. It feels good to be, to have that as part of an expectation and part of a conversation because of what we went through as fans for so many years in a row. And, you know, yeah, there was those kind of faults, maybe chances, those late games. And hey, if you beat out, if Jim McElwain somehow beat out one of those Alabama's team, could Florida vault their way into a college football conversation? You know, well, first of all, they weren't going to beat Alabama, but it, the thought was out there. But it, th those were some, those were some false thoughts, uh, of course, when it was, you go back and look at it with, with revisionist history. So, yeah, there's actually going into the season some legit talk, and uh, it, it feels good as uh, as being part of the fan base and, and having that expectation.
Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it's there. Every team and every program, really, even Alabama has its flaws. And so, you know, I think a lot of times we focus on those flaws and, and rightly get criticized sometimes for only focusing on the flaws. But, um, you know, Mullen's doing a lot of things right at Florida, just like, you know, you can pick out things that Smart's doing well at Georgia and not doing well at Georgia. You can pick out things that Saban's doing well at Alabama, maybe some things he needs to work on there, too. So less for Saban than for other people. But <laughs> in each program, there are going to be things you can pick out and say, hey, this needs to happen. There are just more that need to happen in a place like Florida than there are at, at a place like Alabama in order to make that playoff. But, you know, you look at like if you told me I had to take the roster and the coaching staff of Florida, LSU, Auburn, Miami or Florida State, I'm taking the Gators. Like, I, I think at that point you look at those teams and you say, hey, I like where my team's at in that grouping. Yeah. Now to, to move to the next tier, there's going to need to be massive increases in in you know those recruiting rankings going to have to keep going up. Obviously, they're going to have to find a guy at quarterback who's not just average, but who who can really play. Maybe who can be elite. Maybe that's Franks. Maybe it's somebody else that they brought in. But um, you know, I I feel pretty positive about where the program is when you start looking at some of these other programs that are being mentioned in the same in the same breath. Uh, Will, you uh, got in the good graces of Gator Nation by, by, by the same way Dan Mullen has the last couple of weeks and um, uh, some uh, picking of uh, of Georgia and picking out of Georgia here. And uh, you, know, you uh, at readreaction.com this week, uh, you took a look at Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart and their recent performance. And, and the results are a little closer than, than most think out there. And uh, you titled the article, Scott Strickland didn't screw Georgia out of the playoff last season. Kirby Smart did, and that is relation to – hey, look, I know Mike Griffith from, uh, from from the Georgia side, the Georgia media there, of uh, AJC, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Mike writes for. He's on every Tuesday morning as I am for, on the Bill King Show up in Nashville. I had him on the podcast last week to preview uh, the Florida-Georgia game, and I've, I, I've known Mike personally a, a little bit. Uh, I, got, I got to talk with him uh, at the Florida-Georgia game last year, and uh, – We've talked behind the scenes a little bit, but uh, yeah, that that one rubbed me r the the wrong way too. The insinuation that Florida athletic director Scott Strickland uh, had maybe had some influence in Georgia not making the college football playoff last year, not them losing to Alabama, not them losing to LSU. That it was Scott Strickland who apparently is the most powerful AD in sports, Will, because he somehow maneuvered where Florida didn't have to play Central Florida and also had it where Georgia didn't make the college football playoff. Well, I'm glad we have the puppet master of all of college football as our athletic director. I'm, I, I'm, I am glad that we're in his hands because apparently he can, he can move mountains when necessary. You know, I, I mean, look, so as somebody who publishes things on his own website, I try to make sure that there's proof when I'm when I'm going to make it when I'm going to make a, a supposition about something and and I you know just saying hey you, you imagine that the guy would be biased because he he works for Florida uh, okay but there are rules where these guys recuse themselves when they're considering various teams and stuff like that I'm sure and and you know get your own athletic director on the committee if you don't like it you know I mean it's like there are uh, I don't know I. The reason George didn't make the playoff last year is they got beat by 20 by the LSU when they were favored by seven. Like you don't get to you don't get to come into a game where you should beat some where everyone expects you to beat them by a touchdown and you just get stomped. And it wasn't that they it wasn't that they just got 
stomped. It was that they got absolutely run over, right? I mean, LSU just ran the ball right down their throats. And it wasn't, it wasn't like Georgia, you know, oh, it was a fluke. They lost in the last minute. They got absolutely physically manhandled. And, and then, and then to go out there and, and, um, you know, blow a 14 point lead to Alabama. It's like, okay, how many chances do you want to a backup quarterback again? Well, I mean, it hurts the good player, but quote, but, but quote again, unquote backup. Yeah, but I mean, again, how many chances do you need to have? I mean, you had it right in front of you. If you beat LSU and ran the table, you could have lost to Alabama and they still would have put you in the playoff. Or if you hold a 14 point lead against Alabama in the third quarter, you get in as well. So, I, you know, again, I, I think this is sort of like when somebody blames the refs after they've had like, you know, after they've had like seven false starts, it's like, well, you know, by the third false start, I really don't want to hear that it's the ref's fault anymore. You're first <laughs> 15 the whole game. And, and it's sort of the same thing here. And, and that was part of what I was trying to say during the article is that, you know, I don't watch Georgia football all the time, but I can pick out multiple moments where smart has made decisions that have impacted his team's ability to win. So in the first year, you know, there was the hail Mary against Tennessee, but a lot of people forget that that was that that, the Hail Mary for Tennessee to win that game. I mean, Georgia went up by three points on basically a Hail Mary of itself of its own with 10 seconds left. Mm -hmm. How in the hell do you give up a touchdown with 10 seconds left when you're kicking off? Like it's, it's almost impossible. And somehow they managed to do it. They, they, they had a pooch kick that got returned well past midfield. They had multiple unsportsmanlike conduct penalties on after their touchdown. And also after the kickoff, it was just ridiculous. And then, you know, they blew a two touchdown lead to Georgia tech that year. Um, that really had the Georgia the Georgia people going nuts because you know you can't lose to Georgia Tech in your first year and and really and really soothe the fan base and and then the two games against Alabama you can point to specific coaching decisions that Smart has made that have impacted their ability to win there was one I pointed out in the national championship game I mean obviously the the second and twenty five is the one that sticks out but they had the ball with a touchdown lead with you know, with like nine and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, they ran the ball three times, but on a third and two, they motioned from out wide, brought in Hardman as a, in the wildcat, and then just handed the ball off to Michelle and ran him right into the, right into the line of scrimmage. I mean, you basically told Alabama, this is what's coming. What a shock that they were able to stop it. So, you know, smart has made some, some, interesting decisions and not just the not just the punt fake last year with Justin Fields and so you know I think that he needs to take some responsibility for that and when you look at how his team has performed against teams with more talent versus teams with less talent versus teams that rank in the top 25 of 24/7 every year puts together a roster ranking of the of the talent so Georgia's 12 and 8 in the last 3 years and that's not just you know, oh, the first year he lost a bunch against those teams. That he were he was two and three in two thousand six. He was six and two in two thousand seven, and then four and three last year. So twelve and eight against teams that have top twenty five talent. Sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. Yeah, sorry, two thousand sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. And then if you look at Mullen over those same three years, two of those at Mississippi State and one at Florida, he's also twelve and eight against teams with top twenty five talent. So and. You know, smarts teams have had an average recruiting ranking of like fourth, and Mullins have been down in like the 22 range. So basically, he's and and you can't just say, oh, well, Georgia's had to play Alabama twice because so has Mississippi State. So you know, at the end of the day, Mullen has a record that's very very similar to Smart with teams that have less talent, 
And so the question you have to ask yourself is why is that? So Mullen also has gone nine and nine against teams with more talent, according to the 24 seven. And then he's gone 16 and five against teams with less overall talent. So 76% of the time he's won versus less talented teams. Now smart has gone 32 and eight against teams with less talent. So 80% of those games he's winning. And that's about what you would expect for a team with the talent ranking that Georgia has, but zero and two against Alabama. That's the only time he's played a team with more talent than he has based on recruiting rankings. And again, 12 and eight versus the top 25. I just, you know, again, I think when you look at it, you say there are strategic decisions during the game, during the games that, that smart has made when it's been close that have cost his team. And, you know, I, even in the game against Florida this past year, you know, the goal line stands and not being creative down in the red zone. And just basically, I mean, they ran like two quarterback sneaks back to back and weren't able to get the ball in. I mean, Florida's getting unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and stuff on the sideline because of pass interference calls still can't punch it in. There were two, I think like two field goals in that game that were under 20 yards. And I mean, you know, when you're the better team, just punch the ball in. Right. I mean, you go for it on fourth down. If the other team stops, you tip your cap. But he never did that in that game. And Florida had an opportunity in the fourth quarter to win that game, even though they were being beaten pretty, pretty handily from, you know, from physical standpoint. And then the game got away from him in the fourth quarter. But next year, you know, if if Felipe Franks goes out there and plays well in that game against Georgia, it's going to be a whole different story. So, um, you know, none of this is to say that Florida is going to be the favorite. But I think what it does say is that they've really got a fighter's chance that that. You know, Mullen, you know, he he has proven that he can beat teams that have significantly more talent than what he had at Mississippi State, which means that he's developed that talent to be able to compete with with those guys. So is he going to win every one of them? No. But uh, but when you compare him and smart in their on field results, I think Mullen comes out pretty favorably. Well, I wonder what number of fans we were of the thirty nine thousand four hundred and seventy six. <laughs> we, we were the last two, Dave. We were the last two. I think but, that was number. I think my. My imaginary ticket scan was, uh, I think I was 1,980. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I got, I got to be honest. If, like, I would always root against Georgia, but really we need to root against them anyway because it's so much fun to bring up 1980. <laughs> uh, you know, I had a guy respond to the article basically be like, because really what I said was with the amount of talent that Georgia has, a national title should be the expectation and that that's the standard that smart should be held to. He's got one of the three most talented teams in the country. He's brought in these enormous halls of talent. They should be running roughshod over everyone to lose to a team like LSU last year is really not excusable when you have way more talent than they do. And, and so, you know, and so one of the guys on Twitter from Georgia was, was that would say, well, you know, I guess SEC championships don't count. And I'm like, well, I mean, Rick won a couple of SEC championships and they ran him out of town. So yeah, you you, uh, t- you told us before they didn't count. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I mean, you know, we're going to keep trolling them, and obviously Mullen's going to keep trolling them, and hopefully, you know, the last co- he's endearing himself to Gator Nation because of all that sort of stuff, and and it, it is reminiscent of Spurrier just sort of digging and digging and digging at Georgia. Now the 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 key there is that Spurrier went eleven and one against Georgia when he was the coach. Yeah. So Mullen's gotten his one. And uh, we expect 11 straight now. <laughs> and, uh, 
<laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, hell, if he if he goes if he goes eleven and one against Georgia, he could say whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah. The, the problem comes when you go four and four and eight, and then well, I'm not even sure you get to four and eight at this point. The problem is when you go two and four, yeah. and, and and then the fan base. It's not so it's not f- so funny to be taking shots at somebody who beats you consistently. So um, yeah, all you know, fun and games now, like you said, and, and the rivalry making it fun. But yeah, eventually those W's have to come for sure. Well, but again, the track record indicates that that Mullen is able to close the talent gap based on his ability to coach. I mean, I, I've, I've really taken a step back this this offseason and tried to look at development in a bunch of the different articles that I've looked at. And, and the overwhelming theme is that Mullen gets more out of his teams than his peers. And and to be honest, Smart has gotten less out of his teams over the last three years than his peers, or at least equivalent maybe is what you'd say he's been equivalent to his yeah. peers. so so you know how much how much is so clearly georgia has more talent than florida but how much does that gap need to close before that development difference really makes makes a difference on florida's side i think we're going to find the answer to that sort of th- thing especially when from leaves right so yeah. next year i think you look at that and say okay this is Fromm's third year he's been excellent his first two he's probably going to the nfl after next year if he has an outstanding year george's gonna be tough to beat but then from leaves and all of a sudden who's filling that gap it's certainly not fields and so and so who's filling that gap and mullen has brought in a a uh, a guy who fits his offense over each of the last three years. And, uh, you know, he's going to have his pick of the guys he wants to run his offense and potentially even Frank's back to play for one more year. So, um, you know, again, we'll, we'll see what happens as things progress, but it, you know, I, I, I really am a disciple of, of the recruiting rankings. I think they're really, really important, but, if recruiting rankings were all that was important, then Ron Zook would still have a job and Butch Jones would still have a job because those guys recruited very, very well where they were at and didn't win a whole lot of games. And so um, development certainly plays a role. The, the issue is how do you measure that? Yeah, like yep. I said, I've been trying to measure that over the offseason because I have heard people say that. And it's like, okay, well, let's let's see if we can find a way to measure that. And I think some of the stuff in the article this week kind of addresses that, um, looking at how guys perform against better talent, worse talent than top 25 talent. And how does that compare to their peers? So it's an interesting look anyway. And certainly I think gives Florida fans some hope, but uh, um, you know, I'm looking forward to, to <laughs> I'm looking forward to the game already in Jacksonville. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There will is a big week for, uh, Hey, some pass skaters, uh, guys that uh, were part of Dan Mullen's turnaround in his uh, first season here. And uh, these guys were uh, big and instrumental in, in that. And they're getting ready for the NFL draft this week. Uh, of course, Offensive tackle, right tackle, Jawan Taylor uh, looking to be a, a first-round pick, possibly a top-ten pick. I know he's pegged a lot uh, to come here to Jacksonville, uh, and, and the Jaguars drafting him for a need at at, at tackle. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, you're starting to see also a little bit now, some mocks and some first rounds. Uh, him, him scooting in there at the first round. Uh, he, you know, the way he was able to to kind of and, and Jawan Taylor too. You know, these are two guys that I don't necessarily. If you would have went to mocks this time a year ago, uh, you definitely wouldn't have seen Jawan Taylor uh, in, in a 32 pick mock draft at, as soon as last year's draft was over with. Um, especially because of uh, just the reputation the Florida offensive line had had under Jim McElwain and, and Mike Summers and Doug Nussmeyer there. Uh, and you bring in Dan Mullen and John Hevesy and that group as a whole, 
really elevates their game. But Jawan Taylor, you know, burst onto the scene for 2018. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, much the same way, is kind of flipping the script from a disappointing 2017-2018, comes out the, and, and is the playmaker that we know he can be, shows it in his very last game in the Peach Bowl. Um, Jacob Light, disappointingly, you know, should it, they're still – May be a team out there that takes a flyer on him because, hey, look, as soon as the season got over with and mock drafts kind of started coming out as soon as the college football season got over with or even during the season, you saw Jacopolite's name in that first round. And now he either got some bad advice or didn't care enough or, you know, had a really bad combine, a so-so pro day uh, there. But, you know, there's a potential if another team falls in love with, with Polite because of what they had seen before, the potential of three first-round Gators going uh, this Thursday in NFL draft more than likely too with Jawan Taylor, Charleston Gardner Johnson, but you, you might get those three. Yeah. Every, every mock I've seen has had Taylor kind of in the top 10 Gardner sort of high second round. And then polite has really sort of dropped into the third or the fourth round um, in, in most of the things that I've seen now. I mean, you know, you feel bad for the guy because obviously yeah. he put up an awesome year last year, but you know, when you go out and you run a 4.940 and, and you don't answer the questions very well when people, when people give you criticism and then go into the media and criticize people after the fact, you know, that's going to impact your draft stock. Now, I mean, the good news is, is that it's not an injury that's, that's affecting his draft stock. So he is going to get drafted. He is going to be able to help his mom retire. And, uh, you know, I, I think he'll have the ability to get that second contract if he plays well, but certainly it's going to end up costing him some money. I think it was, what, Caleb Brantley a couple years ago who had some accusations yeah. against, him, against him that made him drop. I think it's I think it's very similar in, in, in nature there. Um, one guy I'm really interested to see where he goes or if he goes at all is Martez Ivy. I think Ivy actually is going to be a – I think Ivy's going to be a starter in the NFL. I don't know whether he's going to be a pro bowl player at left tackle, but I think he has the capacity to be a, a, a really good player, or at least a starter in the NFL. And things I've looked at recently have had him as an undrafted free agent or like a seventh round pick. Uh, I don't know if I'm building an offensive line, a guy who played four years at tackle at the SEC and you sort of see what happened between year three and year four, um, you know, between the different offenses that he was in. Um, he's somebody I definitely take a flyer on. And then you got Fred Johnson from that same offensive line, certainly, um, you know, struggled at times at guard at Florida, but but was very good towards the end last year. Um, and then you've got Jordan Scarlett, who had a really, really nice um, pro day and, and, and yeah. I think ran like the second fastest 40 from anybody in the draft. And Bill Barnwell at ESPN did something called Speed Score a few years ago, where basically he looked at how fast a guy ran a 40 versus how heavy he is at running back. And those two things correlated. So the bigger you were as a running back, and then you divided your 40 times. I can't remember exactly how it was calculated, but basically the speed score was a way of correlating. So a guy who runs a 4.4 and weighs 180 pounds is a whole lot whole lot less impressive than a guy who runs a 4.5 and weighs 225. And so Scarlett has that going for him because he is not a small pack. Yeah. And so uh, and so I, I'll be interested to look and see. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to look at it, but look and see what his speed score is in relation to the other running backs who are out there. And then um, maybe the one guy um, – you know, who we would have expected to be in the first round last year. Um, CC Jefferson um, is, yeah. is somebody else who's in the draft and certainly has fallen after a year that, that he'd maybe like to forget from last year. But, you know, a leader on that defense came back for his senior year. And and I think he's got some talent, too. And I, and I expect if he's not drafted late, he will end up being signed by some team and, and get an opportunity to play. 
Yeah, uh, Sean Joseph, another one kind of surprising that uh, he, he came out. Um, a lot of athleticism there, we, we know. Can he be disciplined enough? Can he stay in position? You know, NFL teams are probably going to drool all over the speed that he brings onto the table, but got to be got to be more consistent out there on the field and hey look we we've seen him plenty of times lay the wood out there they're going they're going to fall in love with a lot of the little things that Sean Joseph does can he put it all together i think it's a big question uh, out there for nfl teams and yeah i agree with you about jordan scarlett i think he'll be a late pick that i think uh, you know i've kind of did a preview as i said uh, for uh, the, the jaguars draft day and uh, or draft Three days there, the whole the whole NFL draft for the Jaguars, and they 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 do need to run him back. Because of course, they're not going to get Scarlett up high. He's he's not worth that pick. But they've made some moves lately there, and I think he could he could be a a back that could. Uh, he's not an every down back because he does have to get better catching the ball. Uh, of course, that that we saw. But I do like his size. I do like his speed. Um, you know, uh, as I said in, in the preview that I did. Uh, had a tendency to dance behind the line of scrimmage a little bit too much, but I really like what Jordan Scarlett brought to the table in the fourth quarter of uh, a football game. So if you're looking for a, a running back that can, you can get the ball too late, salt, salt, some, salt, salt away some games, uh, Jordan Scarlett's, uh, I, I think, a back that, that would be worth a look. Well, he also never fumbled. Which, which is a, I guess he fumbled once against Georgia last year, but yeah. you know he never really puts the ball on the ground, which is something you want to look for too. As far as Joseph is concerned, yeah, there, there's gap integrity issues and things like that. Though I will say that the gap integrity issues got better throughout the year. I think some of the coverage, <laughs> some of the coverage deficiencies mm-hmm. didn't necessarily get better later in the year against uh, Missouri and South Carolina, but. Every guy who's not a first-round pick is going to have holes that you can pick. I mean, there, there, there's a reason why Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is a borderline first-round, maybe early second-round pick. There are things that he's going to need to do better at the next level to be an elite guy. Um, he has he is not the guy who goes on the outside like like C.J. Anderson and just locks down the opposing wide receiver. Those are usually you know first-round corners slash safeties or guys who can be locked down like that. Chauncey Gardner Johnson isn't that guy, at least not yet. But he's got a lot. He's got a very versatile skill set, and so there may be a team that falls in love with him that takes him late in the first round because they can use that versatility. Um, same thing when you look at a guy like Ivy. I mean, he's he's got a lot of talent, but he's also there. Are, there are also flaws in his game, and you're going to have to develop him. It's not just a hey, you made it to the NFL, all of a sudden you're a starter. It's you know they're going to have to. There are things these guys are going to have to learn. And I do think Scarlett probably gets hurt by the credit card scandal and sort yeah. of comes off the field. I think less than, you know, I, I think his talent and the pro day and his 2018 season and all that sort of stuff, probably you're talking a third or a fourth round back. I think you're probably talking more like sixth or seventh just because of some of the off the field stuff. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, certainly, um, you know, if you'd have told me at the beginning of last year that there'd be eight guys that had a potential to get drafted, I'd tell you we had a pretty successful 2018 <laughs> season. And if you told me that that one that one of the tackles would be a top ten pick, I'd tell you, all right, we're, we did pretty well last year. And that and would probably that, have been Martha's Ivy and not Juwan Taylor. <laughs> yeah, you would have guessed, but you know, Taylor was really good his freshman year. Obviously, yeah, struggled a little a lot in 2017, but everybody struggled in 2017, and uh, and certainly was able to to show out in 2018. Just and and in some capacity you know ivy and johnson as well i mean i I think those guys are going to get a good long look because they played so many games in the sec they're not going to be intimidated by anybody on the other side in the nfl i mean they will have seen guys who are just as strong and just as fast because half the guys they were playing against they're now going to be in the nfl so uh 
you know, so anyway, I, I think there's some value to getting guys who have that SEC experience. And and certainly Ivy in particular is somebody that I would keep an eye on. I think somebody's going to get a really good tackle um, late in the draft, somebody who can, who can at least be a starter and has the potential to be a very good starter. Yeah, I will. I think that's it. Uh, man, we hit a lot on this one. <laughs> there's a lot going on even for, for late April, man. We Never, never yeah. a dull moment. Never a dull moment. <laughs> But we'll see. Hope, hopefully, everything stays quiet for the next couple of months, and yeah. you know, we, we we can debate the standard stuff. So <laughs> definitely. Well, you got cut up coming up on uh, read reaction. Some some more shots at Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe so. Maybe it'll be LSU this week. But some of, some of the stuff for the playoff. <laughs> uh farmer friend so uh, <laughs> yeah so some of the stuff that we uh that we talked about tonight i'm going to try to write up and actually put out there so people can see it in terms of the in terms of the national championship or the playoff teams and uh and yeah that, that's probably the next thing that's coming out and i don't know man that something always pops up you know i wasn't really planning on writing about kirby smart until uh until all of a sudden people were accusing scott strickland of being the uh being being the most powerful man in sports so uh so we'll see what pops up <laughs> all right that's will miles you can find his uh his work at readandreaction.com and follow him on twitter at will miles sec i'm the host of gators breakdown david waters and you can find me on twitter at gator dave underscore guys and girls out there thanks for listening to this episode of gators breakdown <laughs>